On Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. Welcome to I Communicate. I'm your host, Mark Altman. And today we're calling our show The Obstacle is the Way. And I got to tell you that I was on vacation. I was fortunate enough to go on vacation, travel with my girlfriend a few weeks back. And I got to tell you, I had a few awarenesses on that vacation. One of them being the, about burnout. And I remember going on the vacation feeling so drained and so tired and coming back from the vacation and feeling so energized. I was able to relax and really maximize my time to kind of get my peace of mind and, and emotional and mental strength back. And then within a week of coming back, I felt a little drained again, not to the point from before vacation, but I felt a little drained again. And it made me really reflect, you know, at Mindset Go, we work with so many people on wellness and issues around burnout and stress management and things like that. And it occurred to me that, you know, burnout is the prime example of a problem that just doesn't have a simple solution. And the reason why everything came back to me, those feelings and that fatigue in such a short window of time after I had that relaxing week is because I didn't solve the root cause of my problem. When companies look at solving problems around burnout and stress and wellness, they want these quick fix solutions and they tell people, take a couple of weeks off or do what you need to do. That's not going to get it done because you don't fix problems like burnout unless you change habits and change the way you live your life. And that takes commitment, that takes motivation, that takes belief, it will matter. And so it occurred to me that it's getting to the root cause of a problem is a challenge I see so many organizations have where they solve the wrong problem. And I'm going to give you a couple of examples, which is going to lead into where we start the show. If someone comes in late for work and your response is to tell them that it's part of their job to be on time for work, you're solving the wrong problem. They already knew that. So why are they not coming in to work on time? What's the root cause of that? If someone spends too much time figuring out problems and they're not productive or efficient in the way they do their job and you walk up to them and say, look, if you're really struggling with that problem, just come to me or come to someone on the team that can help you, you may be solving the wrong problem. They probably already knew they could come to you or someone on the team. The question is, why didn't they? Why aren't they making that choice? If someone doesn't participate or look engaged in virtual meetings, is it because they don't care or they're not motivated to participate? So are you going to have a conversation and say, I noticed you're not all that engaged in meetings. I'd like you to participate more. Or are you going to try to understand why they're not participating and solve the right problem? This is a trend, right, that I see so often. And again, I said this last week on the podcast that, 
we, we have so many leaders complaining about their lack of time and the, the pressure and the expectations. And I'm saying to you that part of the reason you spend way more time with your team members than you need is because you don't solve the right problem from the get-go and you also enable behaviors to be, so your team members become dependent on you. So, I'm on vacation and I'm reading this book called The Obstacle is the Way. And it's an interesting book because it talks about, I've only read the first 40 pages, but there was a profound thought in the first 40 pages that I haven't been able to get out of my head. And the thought was, when you experience a mistake, a letdown, or some varying degree of failure, you have choices in how you cope with those things. You could dwell on it. You could beat yourself up. You could blame other people. You could do all three. And a growth mindset, and one of the reasons, and one of our core foundational values at Mindset Go is to have a growth mindset. And a growth mindset doesn't mean dwell on mistakes, beat yourself up, or beat somebody else up. A growth mindset means self-reflect and take this experience and understand what you can learn from it so you don't repeat those same mistakes or those same failures. That's a growth mindset. But this book, The Obstacle is the Way, takes it to a totally different level. The Obstacle is the Way says that they want you to take a growth mindset and put it on steroids. They want you to take a growth mindset and say, if you experience a varying degree of failure, disappointment, or make a mistake, they want you right then and there in that moment to say, this is an advantage. This is good. This is good that that happened. Good. Can you imagine experiencing a failure, a disappointment, and you are so upset about it, you're feeling victimized, which we talked on last week's podcast, you're feeling victimized, you go home to a loved one in your life, and you're venting. Can you believe this person, can you believe this happened to me? Can you believe I screwed this up? Can you believe this person made this mistake and I had the consequences for it? And you're venting. And when most people vent to a loved one in that kind of tone, in that kind of word choice, they're looking for validation. They're looking for the loved one to say, yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. That, that sounds tough. Empathy, validation, that's typically the response people seek. But imagine if your loved one in that moment said, gee, sounds like a great advantage for you. Can you imagine how you'd react to that? You'd be annoyed probably. You'd be irritated. Because the last thing when you're feeling victimized or hurt or disappointed is you need someone to tell you how it's going to help you and in its advantage. But it's pretty profound. And I'll tell you why. Because in, in most cases, it is an advantage. I had a client last week tell me that he was away in North Conway, New Hampshire, and he was sledding down a hill. And he sled down this hill, and he ran into this pipe, water pipe, sticking out of the ground and really injured his back. And so he's telling me this story, and I'm thinking, man, that sucks. 
And then he says, yeah, it still hurts. And I said, boy, that sounds like a big advantage. And I hadn't even shared obstacle is the way yet. I said, that sounds like an advantage. And he looked at me really funny, like, what do you mean it's an advantage? You could tell he was irritated. And I said, I want you to take a minute or two to reflect and serve how this was an advantage for you. And he said, he thought about it. And he said, yeah, my kids, my son and his friend would have gone down that hill and been injured. And because I went first and I, I had to suffer the danger, I preserved my son and his friend from going down that hill. Said, sounds like an advantage. He said, you know, I never would have thought of it, thought of it that way. And I guarantee you, if you look at major milestone moments in your life where you experienced disappointment, failure, adversity, and you reflected on how that has helped you, how you've grown from that experience, I bet way more often than not, you could point to a lot of advantages, the fact that you had those experiences and setbacks. And that is the thought process and the obstacle is the way. It's having an advantage mindset. And I got to tell you, I'm an enormous Star Wars fan. I've said this many times on the show. Star Wars is amazing because so much of it is around emotional intelligence and self-awareness and discipline, right? And one of the spinoffs from Star Wars is this show in the last couple of years called The Mandalorian. And for those of you who aren't familiar with The Mandalorian, The Mandalorian tribe when they're about to make a decision that involves morals or ethics or how other people are impacted, they have this expression where they say, this is the way. And I love it because this is the way is a unified approach where they say this is morally, ethically um, the way to do something. And it's consistent with their value system. That's what this is the way is that's what this is the way means. It's a value-based decision with consistent morals and ethics. It's one of the many lessons Star Wars teaches. So when we come back, we're going to talk for the rest of the show about venting and validating. And when people in organizations feel the need to vent and complain, how to handle that as a leader? how to use the three-step recipe we talked about on the last podcast, and how to empathize without agreeing. So for I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be back after the break. Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay. Welcome back to The Obstacle is the Way and making sure we're solving the right problem. So in our first segment, we talked about having an advantage mindset. And now we're shifting over to pick up where we were last week with the three-step recipe to ask for permission to help. And just to catch everybody up, the three-step recipe is leading with empathy, instilling confidence in someone, and asking for permission. And the two examples we covered in the previous podcast were to use that three-step recipe when someone comes to ask you for advice or to use the recipe when someone is 
wanting you to do work that they could and should do themselves so you don't enable and you create a legion of critical thinkers and problem solvers. Now we're going to talk about one of the toughest situations of all, which is when people complain about others in the workplace. Now I'm going to give you a scenario, right? And before I give you the scenario, I want you to think about for a minute, why do people vent and complain? Because we all do it to varying degrees. And the thing is, it's very common for people to initiate a conversation by complaining. And when I say complaining, expressing discontent, frustration, annoyance. But here's the magic part of this, without an intention to do anything about it. And you know what? It's fine. It's human. And it's a little bit of a victim's mindset. Because if you intend to vent and complain without a solution, right, then it is a bit victimized. Now, don't get me wrong. Before I get any emails or comments, I understand that it can be valuable to vent. Sometimes when people vent, they just want to be heard. They just want to let off steam. They don't have a malicious intention. I get that. And often when we vent and complain, we want someone to validate our experience. And like I said in the first segment, our expectation, if we're feeling victimized, is we want our support system to agree with us and validate us. And I get that. But understand this. When someone complains, there's two messages. It's a problem that they could deal with on their own, or they may want someone else to handle. Again, not an empowered mindset, a victim's mindset. So here's the great thing about complaining. I'm being a little facetious, but you may never have thought of it like this before. When people complain about work, something to do with work, it's usually a proxy for complaining about the people who either A, created the work, B, who aren't holding up their end of the work, or C, holding them accountable for the work. So the person, the boss who's holding you accountable, the team member who isn't doing their job, or the person or the organization who created the work in the first place. So, so much of what we talk about at Mindset Go is the sphere of influence. Recognizing, having the self-awareness to know what is out of your control, what is in your control, and how to influence not only people's thoughts, feelings, and actions, but really how to influence a different outcome. So when people vent and complain, first, be self-aware of where it's coming from. And second, if you're empowered and you're not playing the role of a victim and you are looking in the mirror and recognize your part, what your role is, what you could control, that's a critical step in this process. And when someone complains repeatedly, they're demonstrating a lack of accountability and again, looking at the external reasons why this is going on as opposed to their role in it. And one of the things we're seeing in the Great Resignation is that when people are quitting their jobs and are disgruntled with their company, their boss, their industry, I'm not saying they don't have a right to that. And I'm also saying that it's important to know your role in that. 
How are you complicit in that? And that's that's being accountable. So we're talking about complaining, right? So here here's the scenario that I, I'm, I'm alluding to as a starting point. Ben says to his boss, hey, Dora, my team is struggling. I think Mary is the issue. She's so controlling. Since you know her well, can you talk to her? So listen very carefully to the words I just said. If you're reflectively listening or actively listening, you heard a few different things. One, the person said, my team is struggling. Two, they believe that Mary may be the issue. Third, they believe that Mary's tendency to be controlling is the issue. And fourth, they want you to talk to her instead of them. There were four messages in that sentence. So in the three-step formula we discussed, you lead with empathy. I'm sorry to hear that. Leading teams can be so hard. Second, instill confidence. I honestly think it would be useful for you to develop your relationship with her, and I know you can. Third, ask for permission. I think the feedback should come from you. However, would it be helpful if we talk through it together? So you're still being supportive. You're still coaching, but you're not doing the work for them. You're not enabling a behavior. And when you say, can we talk through the situation together, you can share your approach and your process so they not only know how to have the conversation with Mary, but they know how to have the conversation with anybody else like Mary that they encounter at that job or the rest of their life for that matter. So the vent is, my team's struggling, Mary's the issue, she's controlling. So you empathize, you instill confidence, and you offer to help. Okay? Now, here's the thing. I used to have this guy who I used to work with, awesome guy, John Noons, was the former finance director for the town of Fairhaven. Um, and he was in Easton for a while. And John was always funny. John always had a good sense of humor. And I remember when I would run into John, see him from time to time, um, he would, I would say, John, how you doing? And he would say, well, I'm all right. I'd complain, but no one's going to listen anyway. And that was kind of like his signature line, he would say. And I thought to myself, isn't that interesting? You know, it's like you talk about that was like something that was like an identity for him. And whether it was a joke or not, who knows what the meaning was behind that. But the, the moral to this whole story is that the difference between an ally and a critic is someone who complains to complain is a critic. Someone who complains to bring someone down can be toxic. Someone who tries to rile a large group of people up to join your side can be toxic. I've called that reverse influence. I did a show on this. So when you're complaining, you have a choice to be an ally or a critic. An ally, you still get to have your thoughts and your feelings and your ideas, but if you're an ally, the intention is to complain or educate or share with the, with the intention of posing a solution and to solve the problem. 
you don't necessarily have to be the person that solves the problem, but the idea is that your intention is to facilitate a solution. That's the key to the whole thing. So, as a leader, I mentioned this on the last show, as a leader, accept and embrace your responsibility. Your job as a leader is to shift someone from a complaining mindset, from being a victim to being empowered. And I have to tell you, for you to effectively do that, it's one thing to embrace that that's part of your responsibility. It's another thing for you to get your triggers with this person, your baggage and past experience with this person to get in the way. Because for you to coach them from victim to empowered, you can't let your assumptions and judgments and past experiences get, this, get, get in the way of developing this person and helping them shift their mindset. And it's a lot harder than, I'm making it sound so easy, you just got to do that. It's not easy to do that because for us to look past our own issues and our own experiences, to stay open-minded and emotionally intelligent, that's what's necessary for you to have a chance to convert someone from victimized to empowered. So when we come back from our third segment, we're going to get into a very specific situation about venting about someone, how to effectively handle it, and how to use vulnerability to your advantage. For Mark Altman, this is I Communicate. We'll be back after the break. You're listening to I Communicate on Full Service Radio 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. We are talking about the obstacle is the way and taking an advantage mindset and trying to shift someone who's venting and potentially even being toxic from being victimized to being empowered and to recognizing their sphere of influence. So let's take a specific situation. I promised we'd get into this. And let's say Ben says, Mary just torpedoed our meeting with the digital marketing aid agent with the digital marketing agency. She treated them like three-year-olds. So remember our three-step formula. Our first step is lead with empathy. And this is where sometimes leaders get into trouble because the temptation is empathy does not mean agreement. You can be empathetic with someone without agreeing. And here's the challenge for a lot of leaders. The challenge is you may have an experience with Mary. You may have seen her torpedo meetings yourself. You may have heard feedback from other people about how Mary torpedoes meetings. But it's not your place to agree. And it doesn't help anything by agreeing. Someone said to me a couple days ago when I was coaching them on this, they said, but what if we do agree? I said, that's okay if you agree, but how does it add value to the conversation? You can empathize without agreeing. So if even if you have that experience with Mary torpedoing meetings, you can just say, I get it. That must have been really tough. Must have been really frustrating. That's good enough. That's empathizing. Now, what's interesting here is 
I'm going to give you a totally different scenario. That Ben, who's blaming Mary for torpedoing the meeting, maybe your experience is with Ben that he's the problem and he is a blamer. And he is typically acting like a victim and blaming other people for his shortcomings. You know, his, his poor performance or his, his behavior issues. So, theoretically, in that moment, after empathizing, you could pose the problem, you know, do you think you're the problem? Do you think it's your management style, Ben, that's the root of the problem? Not a good idea. In theory, where you're going is right, but the way you're going there isn't right. So I would say this, you can initiate that even if that's your feeling, especially that early in the conversation when someone's venting to you. But if someone says in passing, maybe it's me, you could say, why do you think that? So sometimes when people say, maybe it's me, their intention in saying that is to say, no, 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 it's not you. That's their agenda. That's their goal. But if you think it may be them, by you asking them, why, why did you say that? What prompted you to say that? You're not agreeing. You're not criticizing. It's an effort to you to ask a question of self-reflection. So that's why I bring up that second scenario. If someone gives you an in and they think they did have a role in it, or they're posing the scenario, ask some questions to see if they can articulate what their role may be. Right? So, here's what it comes down to. You start that first step, you empathize, you don't agree. Right? And what it comes down to is, you're not going to agree, you're going to empathize. And then, this is where you go next. Ben says... Mary is frustrating everyone on the team. She's so annoying, especially because she's the one with the least experience. You start by actively listening again. Three totally different concepts put forth in that vent. That Mary's frustrating everyone on the team, that Mary's annoying, and that Mary is the one with the least experience. And if you break down those three things... They all tell you a different message. Mary is frustrating on everyone on the team is a value judgment. It's an assumption. Does Ben know if Mary's truly frustrating everyone on the team? Or is he making an assumption or a value judgment? So we don't know. When, when Ben says Mary's annoying, that's his perception. And when Ben says Mary's the one with the least experience... He's attributing her lack of experience to what is making her annoying everybody. And we have no idea if her experience is the root cause of that. So there's three things that could be flawed in Ben's vent. And that's why a vent is just that. It's a complaint. It's a vent. A vent is very rarely emotionally intelligent thought. It's a vent. So Ben says... Mary's frustrating everyone on the team. She's so annoying, especially because she's the one with the least experience. And his manager said, that sounds tough. 
And then here's where the next level happens. And then Ben says he takes the bait. He was empathized with, so he takes the bait. He says, it is tough. Everyone's spending so much time defending their turf that we're not accomplishing our mission. It's infuriating. So again, listen to the messaging that came across in that sentence. It started out, the initial vent was that that Mary's frustrating everyone, she's annoying, and she has least experience. Then he really gets riled up and says, now the problem is it's causing everyone to spend so much time defending their turf and that they're not making progress or accomplishing their mission. So in that moment, you've now identified a whole set of new problems that Ben's venting about. So the thing there is, where do you go first? He's actually, in those two sentences, posed five or six different directions. And so it's critical when you're focused listening to truly understand what the real problem is. So what I might say to Ben in a case like that is I would say, well, Ben, that's, that's a lot. So I guess I've heard a few different things here, and I'd like to reflect back what I heard. So what is the real problem in your mind? Is it Mary herself? Is it the team that's defending their turf? Or is it the lack of progress that's being made on the project? And then you kind of simplify it for Ben, reflect back what you heard so he can validate, and then Ben can then try to pinpoint what he thinks are the real problems. Now again, what Ben thinks are the real problems may not be the problems, but at least by consolidating the list, you can get more of a clear set of criteria to focus on. Okay? So that's that's a wrinkle that when someone, when you do empathize and someone takes it and they get more riled up and they start listing more problems and more frustrations and more reasons why they're feeling like a victim, make a list, actively listen, write them down so you know how to reflect back what you heard and you know which problems to solve. Now, the last thing we're going to cover today is vulnerability. And what's interesting about vulnerability is, and I hear this more and more, I talked about this a couple of months ago on the podcast, there's an expectation that a lot of leaders feel that exists, that leaders are supposed to have all the answers, and leaders are supposed to be able to solve all the problems. And you know what? In all fairness, sometimes that expectation may be legitimate because maybe the culture that a certain leader has set with their team is just that. So if that's the culture, that's a very difficult culture to work under. And sometimes that's about your ability to manage yourself, and it's what you perceive as the expectation of your team, by your team, of you. So if you don't have all the answers... You think the team will look down on you, think less of you. You may personally think less of yourself, and that's what even more so may be about. But what's interesting about this scenario is one of the most powerful forms of leadership, especially generational leadership, is what's called reverse mentoring, where not only do you acknowledge you don't have the answer, you leverage the person on your team's expertise or skill set to learn from them and to help guide you 
and develop you, and it totally shifts the power dynamic. So, so much about emotional intelligence is being able to discern the difference between perceived expectations and real expectations. Is it an expectation that I'm supposed to be responding to emails at night? Or do you feel like you're creating that expectation? Has anybody ever said, this is what you're supposed to do? Is it peer pressure? You need to discern between the root reason that you feel like you need to respond to emails at night. Because you may be blaming it on something external when it's really about something internal. So when we come back for our final segment, we're going to talk about how to use vulnerability as a tool of influence and to your advantage in motivating people to do things. So for I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back for our final segment. Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate for our final segment of uh, The Obstacle is the Way. And just to do a quick recap, you know, we've talked about the advantage mindset. You know, we're talking about how to take adversity, perceived failure, disappointment, and do self-reflection in that moment. Be present and mindful. Why is this an advantage for me? Why has it already been an advantage for me? Why will it continue to be an advantage for me? We're talking about answering those questions. We're talking about the permission formula, right? The recipe for dealing with people who ask for advice, who want you to do their work for them, and for people who are venting and complaining without the intention to solve a problem. So we're going to finish up today with validation, excuse me, with vulnerability. And so when someone expresses a problem to you, first let me just say it's a huge compliment. Because if someone comes to you and feels safe and comfortable expressing a flaw, a weakness, a limitation, that's hard for so many people to do. And so if you've created a relationship in a culture with team members or for your whole team, huge feather in your cap. Because you're creating channels of open communication and psychological safety. And so... Think about this for a minute. Ben says, other team members are fed up with Mary's rudeness. I've never seen morale so low. And it doesn't help that we still don't have a use case to build a marketing campaign. So what are the choices for Ben's boss, Dara? Dara can say, sounds like a lot. We've talked about that. Lead with empathy, right? You already know that. But here's where Dara can turn things on its ear a little bit. She could say, without agreeing and implicating Mary and agreeing with the negativity, Dara could say, you know, and I got to be honest, I've had similar experiences in past jobs where I've had to deal with a difficult employee or a difficult leader and it's been a struggle. I've had similar problems, so I feel your pain. So now, not only is she being empathetic, 
She's normalizing the frustration. She's validating it, and she's normalizing it. So now Ben initially may have come to Dara with the intention to vent and complain, but now Dara's kind of broken down the hierarchy, and they're on the same level now as peers who are talking about a challenge that Dara has previously experienced and Ben is currently experiencing. It changes the dynamic. That's huge. So, how does, the conver- how does the conversation shift? Well, the conversation shifts when you become vulnerable. Because now, Ben started out with the intention to vent. Ben might say, well, how did you handle it, Dara, when you dealt with it? And Dara may have disrupted Ben's initial intention and thought process which was solely to vent and complain. So Ben now asks Dara, how did you deal with it? And Dara can share her experience. And then Dara could say, step two and three of the recipe. You know what, Ben? I've seen you handle difficult situations since I've worked with you. And would it be helpful if we discussed how you would like to handle this? So Dara can still bring it back by being vulnerable and opening the door and softening the conversation. Ben maybe inquires to Dara about what she experienced, how she worked with it. And by the way, Dara may not have this foolproof solution. I talk about this all the time. When I coach and train people on emotional intelligence communication skills, there is no one size fits all. You've got to use situational experience excuse me, situational awareness. People are different. Every single human being is different in some way from another. You can't apply the same techniques and methods to every single person. However, when you talk about things like leading with empathy, and you know where leading with empathy can go wrong? If it doesn't come across with the right tone in authentic. If you are not truly feeling empathetic and you lead with empathy, it'll show. Because if your tone isn't an empathetic tone, if your words don't match your tone, you're out of luck. It'll exacerbate the situation, frankly. So, you can lead with empathy, authentically, matching tones and words. You can instill confidence in someone in the second step in the permission recipe, right, authentically, and you can ask for permission. But if at any step along the way, your body language betrays you, your tone betrays you, and those, that body language and tone doesn't match the words, it's not going to work. And the reason why this last situation I'm dealing with in the show today is because When you use conversation intelligence, when you use what we ultimately teach at Mindset Go is the cross-section of emotional and conversational intelligence. So you may come back to me if I'm training or coaching you and you come back to me two weeks later and said, Mark, I used the three-step recipe for permission. How'd it go? 
Yeah, the person really didn't cooperate. Well, what do you mean? Well, they didn't really want my help. And they, they, they didn't really respond to my vote of confidence or my empathy. Well, to bring everything full circle, in your mind, you follow the three-step recipe. So it must be about them. It's their lack of cooperation, lack of buy-in, lack of participation to work with you on this and cooperate. But as I've said many, many times on the I Communicate podcast, you can follow the three-step recipe, but if the authenticity is lost, you lose trust. If the word choice, tone, and body language aren't consistent, then they won't take you seriously. If you're listening to reply and reacting to what they're saying instead of responding to what they're saying, it won't work. You know, I I talk on the show a lot about everything starts with self-awareness. Well, really, also, everything starts with managing yourself. Because for you to effectively coach, motivate, and develop other people, you need to keep yourself in check and manage your own judgments and perceptions and assumptions and separate the difference between an assertion and an assessment. An assertion is a fact. An assessment is an opinion. And too often, leaders are guided by their assessment of a situation which is value-based, judgment-based, assumption-based, as opposed to the facts. And most of the time, you're not going to know the facts. And the way you find out the facts is you use the two most important communication skills there is, and that is inquiry and asking questions and listening to understand. So vulnerability can be a huge asset in normalizing people's fears, mistakes, weaknesses, and opening the door for for support and permission to, to help. So that's all for this edition of I Communicate. I'm your host, Mark Altman. Thank you so much for continuing to listen to us. For more information about Mindset Go, please reach out at info at mindsetgo.com. You can also call 978-793-1159. Ted, thank you for all you do. We'll see you next time.